0: The Tom Woods Show, episode 1655. Prepare to set fire to the index card of allowable opinion. Your daily dose of liberty education starts here. The Tom Woods Show. All right, for all you men out there listening to this program, I don't normally believe in peer pressure, except in this case. Can you really be a Tom Woods Show listener if you're not using Harry's razors with all the rest of us? We use it because we all get a close, comfortable shave. Join the 10 million who have tried Harry's. New customers get $5 off a Harry's trial set when you go to harrys.com slash woods. Hi everybody, Tom Woods here. We've got Thaddeus Russell back on the show. And I thought of Thad for this topic because he comes from a left-wing background. Now I would describe him as a much more eclectic thinker, always interesting, never boring. And I wanted to ask him, why do you think the left supports the lockdowns? I could make a very good left-wing case against the lockdowns, and yet almost nobody is. Why do you think that is? So I thought he would be the perfect person to talk this through with. He is the creator and the genius behind Renegade University and host of the Unregistered Podcast. We'll have links to both of those things at tomwoods.com slash 1655. Thad, welcome back. So good to be here, Tom. Glad to be talking. Thank you so much. You were the first person I thought of (laughs) when this topic came up that, you know, I wanted to think out loud about. Namely, the fact that being locked down like this in a way that's unprecedented (laughs) is being looked at through an ideological lens. Now, I could imagine a libertarian having a particular take on it because they would say this is an exercise of state power and we don't like state power. But the way so-called left liberals or conservatives would have looked at it I didn't know that it would really break down that way. I, I, in fact, if anything, I would have thought it would be people on the left who would say, well, this is a grotesque misuse of power because it <laughs> obviously harms the most vulnerable the most. Like the billionaires are going to be fine in this. Yeah. They're obviously going to be fine. It's the, the working class people and the people who struggle, who are barely getting by even under normal circumstances. And we're we're sending them 1200 bucks in the mail. It just doesn't seem right. And uh-huh. yet it hasn't, with a few exceptions, it hasn't turned out that way. And I just wanted to think out loud with you today
1: about why that is. So yeah.
0: I know you've been thinking about it the way I have quite often. So what are your initial thoughts on this?
1: God, so many. I've been fascinated by the politics of pandemic since this thing began. And you're right. It's been in some ways unpredictable. In other ways, it's been very predictable. But let's talk about libertarians first. Um I have this new show with Renegade University called RU Live, which is twice a week. It's a Zoom meeting for RU members, and I've had special guests on. and I've had about mm, eight or ten guests in the last several weeks, and we've talked, of course, mostly about this issue. And it has ranged from – and a lot of them have been libertarians or sort of civil libertarians, and it's ranged across the board even among them. You know Deirdre McCluskey I had on, who you know was basically in favor of state intervention on a certain level. Then I had Alex Epstein on, who was against all state intervention, right, and everything in between. Um, And so even among libertarians, there's a an interesting diversity of opinion on this. As for the sort of traditional left-right split, I mean I think that's where it gets really interesting. Um, And what is it, in particular, about liberal and left wing? ideologies, worldviews, and sensibilities. I think sensibilities is really even the most important part here that would lead them to support, as you say, this lockdown that is destroying the lives of the poorest people in our society. Um, and I think, you know, what I thought of when this first happened was the debate, the famous debate that I know you're aware of between Randolph Bourne and John Dewey during uh, World War One. right? The, the classic debate they had when randolph bourne who was a columbia graduate student just like you and i used to be and Tom, and john dewey was a professor there uh, the progressives at the time in 1917 1916 and 1917 the majority of progressives at the time not only supported the us entry into world war 1 they were very enthusiastic about it john dewey was over the moon he couldn't wait for the united states to enter that war and he wrote essays about why and one of the most famous essays he wrote was the social possibilities of war I think he wrote it in 1917, maybe 1918.
0: Oh, it took me a while to get what the relevance of this was. I'm sorry for being so slow today. It's now okay. I see it. All right, go ahead. Yeah.
1: No, and so for him it was, you know, a national crisis with an external threat forced societies to become regimented. It forced societies to impose what progressives love most of all, which they call social efficiency it forced you know all of much of society to literally wear a uniform it forced us all to be americans it forced us it forced this unity on us based on this perceived external threat of course which was non-existent totally at that time so this is why progressives were very excited because they could get all the things they wanted they could get americans to comply with grand social engineering projects which is what progressivism is of course and so I think that's what happened here. I think with the pandemic, I think a lot of people, maybe not even on a conscious level, but I think sort of deep down, they saw this as an as an opportunity to reorganize society, to reorganize political economy, and in particular, to make people's consciousness, their psychology different, more amenable to state control, more amenable... To the rules of authority figures, and in particular governmental authority figures, which is what every state needs. You know every state and every state'sman needs people to have this fundamental feeling about them as if they're family. So we have to be deferential to them the way that we are deferential to our parents, ideally. And if you don't have that, then you're not gonna, you're going to have a really hard time being a president or a governor or a mayor. So if you snap your fingers and say, well, we're going to all we're going to change the political economy radically overnight, um and people listen to you you're in good shape. That's what you want. And so I mean I think so that's why people like Gavin Newsom and Andrew Cuomo, you know, are having a good time here because that's exactly what they did. They snapped their fingers and said, "You know what? We're gonna shut down the entire economy. We're gonna upend everyone's lives. And it's because I think so and my experts think so. And and unfortunately, the vast majority of Americans just went along with it. You know, most Americans are not political like you or I, or, you know, great proponents of the lockdown or great opponents of the lockdown either. Those are minority people. We're weird. Political people are weird. Most Americans, unfortunately, I don't want to call them sheep, but they've kind of acted like sheep. (laughs) And then the rest of us, the 10 or 20 percent who are actually political, are fighting it out as to whether this is a good thing. But I do think in left-wing and some liberal consciousness, just the idea of national or global unity of people, homogenization, regimentation, efficiency, and social order, those things, that's what they really value. They value those things more than things like freedom or liberty or pleasure. And so this is, I think it's a really great opportunity for them, and I've heard a lot of them sort of wax poetic about it. I've seen op-eds and various mainstream journals talking about what people will miss when the quarantine is over, talking about what's been great about this. And they also love the fact that capitalism got shut down. There's obviously, you know, this sort of irrational anti-capitalist animus. Some of it's rational, some of it's not, but it's really about sensibilities. They don't like the way we shop. They don't like what we buy. They don't like the time we spend on watching television, et cetera, et cetera. So for all of that to get shut down, all that sort of degraded, debauched stuff that leftists don't like about capitalism. It's all been put in the closet for 2 months now and they, they're overjoyed. So I think those are the some, some of the reasons why lefties and I'm talking more more hard left types are really enjoying this. For liberals, I think it's mostly just dumb tribalism, you know, they've, they they've become so tribalistic in the last 4 years with the rise of Trump that it's really just comes down to, you know, if Trump says something it's got to be wrong, it's got to be evil, it's got to be racist which You also see that on the identity politics left. You see people actually saying that those of us who are calling for an opening of the country are doing so for racist reasons, because disproportionately black people are affected by this pandemic, which is one of the most ridiculous arguments I've ever heard. But nonetheless, it was almost predictable that they would make it. So, you know, those are the the, I think those are the various motivations for people on the left to support the lockdown, none of which I like. Uh, we can then talk about what people on why people on the right are resistant to it, but I think that's you know it's a more interesting question too. Well,
0: there is something to this idea of a like a cult of expertise, a cult of the mm-hmm. experts. The experts are telling us blah blah blah. Now we can even, for the sake of argument, assume that the experts are one hundred percent right about the way disease this particular virus is transmitted and the risks that we face. Let's even assume that they're right that's not even the thing. It's it's that I think there are some left liberals who define themselves in opposition to the red states where they think it's stupid backward hicks who are gonna pray away a virus. And meanwhile, we've got Dr. Fauci and he's got degrees and he's been doing this for a while. We're gonna listen to him. Now, if he says, we believe the disease is transmitted in the following ways, all right, maybe I might listen to him. But if he says that, the major national and exclusive national priority must be minimizing deaths from this particular thing. Right. Well, that's obviously outside his area of expertise. Where do you get, right. the, where did he get the, the qualification to decide for us what our priorities have to be? Right. But yet it's like the left liberals have somehow conjoined these things. They've conflated these things as if it's all expertise, and we have to listen to the experts, even if that means the experts have to tell us
1: what we're supposed to value in life. There's this assumption that the state has a monopoly on expertise. I mean, which is so patently obviously stupid. I mean, it doesn't make any sense, but that's right. I mean, they assume that if the government hired some scientists, those scientists must be the, the scientists who are correct about these things. <laughs> it's uh and I, I agree, that's that's sort of where people are. Um there's a scientism going on. I know you've talked about this, you know, this belief that science is the, is the avenue to truth that we find reality and truth through science. And it's, it's really, it's almost a religious belief in it. And, and it, and it comes across as, you know, as you're saying, it's like, there's the good college educated people. We are the ones who believe in science and we're the ones who listen to scientists. And and it's the people in the, in the middle of the country who didn't go to college they don't know what they're talking about. We we know what science is, and we know that it that it really is the uh, avenue to truth. Um, it's an authoritarian personality. I mean, that's essentially what we're talking about here. There there are authoritarians among us. Not many, thank God. And then there are those of us who are willing to go along with authoritarians, and that's really what a moment like this shows is who's an authoritarian and who's not. And that ranges from the lady who works at Trader Joe's who was yelling at all of us standing in line the other day about not wearing masks or whether we should wear masks and blah, 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 all the way up to Trump you know, and his various authoritarianisms and you know Nancy Pelosi and the rest of them. You know, um, and so this is a great moment for people who like to boss others around. This is a great moment for people who like to manage, want to manage society. It's a terrible moment for those of us who value freedom and for the, the great middle, they're just sort of going along with it, you know, and I think that they're they're willing to be pushed around. They're willing, they're perfectly happy to have authoritarians lock down their society and tell them what to do. Unfortunately, that's the great majority of Americans, probably the great majority of people. But that's where we are. I mean, I think it's really a test of one's personality. It really exposes what one's political personality is. Do you think that with the passage of time, it's inevitable
0: that the middle has to shrink and maybe even the lockdown people have to shrink at some point? Because I know there are people who were willing to say, yeah, I'll stay in my house to flatten the curve for two weeks. No problem. Who are now saying, all right, obviously they're just going to keep – uh, I who was it? Uh, Adam Carolla said that it's it's like when your flight is delayed, they tell you it's delayed half an hour, then it's another 35 minutes, then it's 25 more minutes, because they don't want to tell you right off the bat how much it's delayed. And because they figure 25 more minutes, you can probably hang in there. I, I think after a while, it, it's got to be the case. I mean, I just, I feel like I, it can't be that I don't know the human race at all, <laughs> that I, I I was fooling myself. At some point, they have to say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Now my kids can't do Like they themselves, maybe they checked out long ago. Maybe they're just empty shells of what they used to be. Maybe they have no soul, but they do care (laughs) for their kids. And if their kids can't do anything that fulfills them or they have to be behind plexiglass all the time, at some point, somebody has to say that's stupid.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, they're playing an even more dangerous game, right, which is that, you know, destroying the economy generally is not good for one's electoral chances. So, you know, we'll see come November. I mean – I, that that's what is really a sort of uh, that's the that's the piece that's most confusing to me. Why politicians like Newsom and Cuomo would want to destroy their states' economies? I mean, I guess people are simply I guess they're just afraid that people will be more angry at them if one person dies of corona after an opening than if you know hundreds of thousands of people lose their jobs in their state. I suppose I I guess that plays to sort of the ordinary, ordinary Americans sympathies more readily, you know, we, we don't think about economics and we certainly don't think about abstract economics, you know, and abstract economics is numbers, right? The numbers of unemployed, the 20%, the 25%, whatever it is, the millions of people who have lost their, you know, those are numbers. But when you hear about some grandmother dying, that's national news. It becomes individual. Everybody feels for her. We know her name. It's tragic. And if, if that grandmother happens to be in your state and you're the governor and she died after your opening, I can imagine that destroying your your chances to win. I mean, that's how superficial American politics is. Let's get right down to it. I mean, this is one of the basic problems here is that the vast majority of Americans don't know anything about politics. They don't really follow it. I mean, at best on a really dumb tribal level as we've been talking about. So I, I guess that's their calculation. I mean, I don't know. I mean, we'll see, you know, if it comes November and the California economy is a third world economy, which it might be, you know, will Gavin Newsom, I don't know, whoever, I mean, or whatever state, wherever they're running for reelection, are they really going to survive that? I mean, I don't, it, right? I think it, it could be a very interesting shaking out. And uh, we have to, we have to be ready to make them accountable for the economic damage they've done to their states and their cities and their counties. And I'm not sure that, I'm not sure that most Americans are. I just don't see much complaining about the the effects on the economy, except for these few protests that are made fun of by MSNBC of people taking rifles into state capitals. Which, by the way, I think is you know almost always a good thing, isn't it? You know, like why do we not want rebellion against you know our authorities? I thought some somebody named you know Thomas Jefferson some said something about that, but um, yeah, I it'll be interesting to see. I, I can imagine a lot of politicians, governors, and county leaders having a real trouble in November if the unemployment rate in their municipality or state is, you know, over 20% is at depression levels. So, you know, it might backfire on them, who knows? But it's fascinating how people, how much people are willing to go along with authority simply because authority says so. All right, let's, this authority says,
0: we're gonna take a quick break and come right back. Imagine if there was a 50% off sale every time you went shopping for razors. Well, shopping with Harry's, the official razor of the Tom Woods Show, is kind of like that because they offer premium blade refills as low as $2 each. That's up to 55% off compared to the price of, let's just say, a leading competitor. I love shaving with Harry's because I get to shave the old neck area, and it's super sensitive, and with Harry's, it's beautiful, comfortable, smooth all the time. And I realized just how good Harry's was when I was stuck on a cruise not long ago, and all I had was some razor from the convenience store they have on board. Oh my gosh, I was a mess by the time I was done with that. Thank heavens for Harry's. Harry's team combined a simple ergonomic design with five sharp blades. You get a 100% quality guarantee. If you don't love your shave, let them know, and they'll give you a full refund. But you'd be crazy to do that because they're so darn good. Harry's has an amazing offer for listeners of my show. New customers get $5 off a trial set at harrys.com woods. You'll get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel with aloe and a travel cover. Join the millions of guys who are already saving money and go to harrys.com slash woods to claim your offer. I think one of the ways that people on the left have justified this is to say, I do recognize that it hurts the average person. I absolutely get that. And that goes to show the corruption of our economy and our government. We should be giving them much, much more money to stay home. So yeah, I agree with you. I'm not callous. I'm not callously disregarding the interests of the average person. It's the government that's doing that. And Mm -hmm. I think that's how they ease their consciences if they're even thinking about this issue. So what's your response to that? Isn't that legit?
1: Which part? Is what legit?
0: Well, from a a leftist point of view, the government should be doing more. Of course, I
1: agree with you, uh, Thad uh, Russell. (laughs) Okay. So first of all, I think the most ironic most bizarre moment in American politics, possibly in my lifetime, was about three or four weeks ago when this was starting out or was becoming serious, and and no one really knew how bad it was going to be, when you had most of the left, and I mean liberals and even hardcore, especially hardcore leftists, screaming about how Donald Trump, the Nazi fascist dictator Donald Trump, should nationalize major industries and impose martial law (laughs) that was from the left very confusing to me right um and (laughs) it makes you wonder you know what they're well and it doesn't make me wonder i know what they're about i mean even even under trump they would rather have what used to be called the well-ordered society what progressives thought of this um so it's uh it's really astonishing. And, and it's, there's an anti-capitalism here that's at work. Don't, don't underplay this. I've seen a lot of comments by, by lefties who say, well, this is great. You know, we don't have to go back to work. The capitalists want us to reopen because they want, they want people to go back to work and rich people want reopening because they want to get richer. That's, you know, this a view of capitalism that particular people have. Um, but, um, yeah, I I don't know. I, I don't know what the answer is, except to just continually resist. And also, I would say back to your I mean, this is sort of more to your point here. The government must answer this. The government is the only way we can get out of this. Well, I beg to differ. There's this thing that's been going on for more than two months now, which is this mass mutual aid going on, people helping each other that's by wearing masks that's by staying inside do you think most people are staying inside because they're afraid the cops will bust them and in fact it's not true because we know there's been very little enforcement of this by the way yeah. uh, because they haven't had to so people are social dis- distancing by themselves stores are doing it voluntarily you know it's been it's been an anarchist answer the an- the anarchist answer of mutual aid is what saved us from this pandemic becoming much worse than it has been. I, I And there's a lot of evidence to suggest that locking people in closed spaces, you know, is bad. It's <laughs> bad for containing a pandemic. Uh, so, I, you know, I do, I think that people's voluntary, spontaneous efforts toward mutual aid have been infinitely more effective than all of the lockdown.
0: There are a few people I can think of off the top of my head who are hard to classify philosophically but who have independent streaks that appear now and again. And I'm thinking of Bill Maher, Mm. Joe Rogan, and now Elon Musk. Mm. And they've all had at least something negative to say about the lockdowns or what they consider to be the hysteria about the pandemic. Are there other such people that you can think of? And is it just a a pie-in-the-sky dream that – these numbers will rise that eventually even, even some celebrity – the celebrities would die a 1,000 deaths before saying anything unfashionable. Hmm. But some celebrity will eventually say, you know, at some point, we need the theater back. We need live music back. We need these things back because if human life was merely biological, just keeping your heart beating – then staying stuck in a windowless room for 75 years eating cans of navy beans would be just as good as a fulfilling life with wonderful relationships and and exhilarating experiences. We all know that's not true. So at some point, even if there is this infinitesimally larger risk to us, I'm willing to take it. Who's with me? At some point, is somebody going to say that?
1: Yeah, I think what's going on, and I think this is what's going to happen. It's already going on, is that people are just starting to ignore all the orders. And you know, I'm seeing fewer and fewer masks. I'm sure you are. I'm seeing fewer masks in stores. I'm seeing fewer masks outside. We are hearing reports of people opening their businesses clandestinely. We see a, a rise of a black market. We see the rise of what's called agorism. Really, I would you know, it's, un, it's agorism not, is getting a shot in the arm during this it sh- thing, and and it wonderful. Sure is yes, and it's not called that, but that's exactly what it is. That's what it is. Just like during Prohibition in the 1920s, most Americans were agorists without knowing it, right? I mean, most Americans broke the law during Prohibition, and they were they were practicing agorism, and that's what's going on now. You know, I, there are barbers all over the country who are giving haircuts, which they're not supposed to be doing. There are nail salons opening up all over the country, that you know, doing this underground. We hear reports about this all the time. So, again, the people spontaneously are undermining this, subverting this, and they're going to bring the economy back to normal through black market agorist activities over the next couple of months so that by the middle of the summer, I'm pretty sure the economy will be effectively back to where it was. There'll be still a few weirdos wearing masks in public, et cetera. And by that point, the governments and the celebrities will just sort of say, well, all right, it's too late now. The streets are full and the the stores are full and we can't enforce if all if when stores start opening i mean imagine the optics of that right some mom and pop store opening its doors in you know San Francisco or Oakland California or LA or whatever And the cops coming in and raiding them and and handcuffing them and taking, it's not going to work. They're not even going to try that. So I think the people are going to open, the people are going to open this country. And then the governor, the governors and the mayors and the presidents and the senators and all the rest. And we'll we'll go along with it. They'll have to. That's what's going to happen. And by the end of this year, I predict that this will actually be a blip in our memory. I predict that by the end of 2020, we won't even be talking about this much.
0: Well, okay, I, that'll be interesting to revisit that. I, at the very least, I'll say, this is the time in our lifetimes that I am the happiest that we have federalism. Yes, Because yes. we can see what will the effects be when this state opens and that state opens. But yes. we'll, we'll get to that in a second. But But let me, just to amplify something you said, just today, I read a story of a gym in New Jersey that- mm-hmm opened in defiance of the executive order. Mm. And a crowd gathered outside because they wanted to go into the gym. And an officer showed up and he said this, uh, among other things, he he concluded with this, formally, you are all in violation of the executive order. On that note, have a good day.
1: Everybody Mm. be safe. And he walked away and the crowd cheered. That's right. That's right. How could they possibly enforce this in in a country of 350 million people? I mean, the more stores that do this, the more businesses that open up. I mean, there's just no way. And also but just in- social shaming, though,
0: right? I mean, they, yeah. they tried to shame people who they found out gave money to Trump or whatever.
1: Sure, which obviously is fading away. It just has less and less power as we see the numbers coming in. I mean, in California, basically, I looked at the numbers. You know, it's half the case. half the deaths were people who already had pneumonia, and the deaths here at that point were like two thousand about a week ago. You know, half of those people had pneumonia. Almost all of them were over 70. Uh, it's, you know, I think it was 0.005% of the population of the state had died from maybe from COVID, probably less than that, much less than that, actually. And it's a state of 40 million people, <laughs> 40 million people. And, and, every, and all 40 million have had their lives affected na- negatively, pretty much yeah. the thing that's wonderful, as you mentioned about the federalism and the and the there's this competition now going on among the states. And have you noticed that there's been basically no reporting on what's been happening in the freed states? I keep searching every day for the numbers on Georgia and Oklahoma and Ohio and all the rest of it. And you have to dig. You have to you dig. have to dig. Yeah. it's you not dig. being reported by the New York Times or The Washington Post or CNN, which tells me only one thing, which is that everything's fine.
0: <laughs> everything's <laughs> fine. They're, they're testing to- more than ever. They have more testing capacity than people even want. Right. So the the whole thing about we need more tests, the whole more tests thing is such crap. Yeah, we, we need 300 million tests, and then 10 minutes later, after you've been in your car, we need another 300 million tests. The whole thing is so ridiculous. At this stage of the game, that horse has left the stable, but- Yeah, what they're finding is there's a lower and lower rate of positives from the tests. I have visited two of the so-called free states at this point. Mm -hmm. Uh, Ironically enough, they're in the formerly slave South. (laughs) These are the free states. (laughs) But I visited Georgia. As soon as Kemp was getting heat for that, went up to Georgia for uh, four or five days. And when they say they're reopening, I mean, you know, this is the media after all. They're slightly opening. I mean, Mm -hmm. they're even – even Kemp's, Georgia has 39 new rules that restaurants have to follow. And mm. you know, so some of them are, are not reopening just because they're just trying to figure out how they're gonna make that work. But all the same, it was interesting to observe that. I was just in Dallas, so I've been to Texas also. Mm-hmm. I went to a drive-in movie and the drive-in theater had closed its snack bar, but it had reopened by the time I got there. But so there's just little tiny things like that. But it's like when you do go out to dinner, And you see people there, you know, and there's only 25% capacity, but you see other people there. It's like you look at each other like, okay, you're another of the normal people. Like you you actually understand what's happening. You've been reading reliable sources. You've just been looking at the raw data. And it's like a kind of unspoken camaraderie Hmm. that I felt when I was there.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, conversely, I've been on hiking trails out in the wilderness and I've seen people hiking by themselves wearing a mask. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, what do you say? (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. The idea that beaches should be closed. I mean, the idea that hiking trails should be closed. I mean, that's, that's, that's a kind of personality that I don't think you or I are going to change very soon. I mean, no, (laughs) that's a deep. It just needs to be ridiculed and made
0: fun of as much as possible (laughs) and, and not to be mean, But frankly, not to sound melodramatic, but for the sake of freedom, this idea – these ideas have to be ridiculed. When I was in the Dallas – the DFW airport just yesterday, I was walking by like a little food court area, and one or two of the places was open, and there was a general area with tables where normally there would also be chairs. Now, people were allowed to use the tables, but they had moved the chairs away. So I took a picture of this and it, it, you know, it's at this point, it's got like 1500 likes on Twitter. And I said, we are allowed to use these tables, Mm -hmm. but they've removed the chairs because as we all know, the virus loves chairs. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then you look at these tabletops, you know, they're going to get the chairs away for our own good. The tabletops are filthy. I mean, no one has touched (laughs) these tables all day, but they're going to keep us safe by moving the chairs out. (laughs) I mean, I think we like, we need to preserve this moment because if if the next time these people have a have a, a yes. harebrained scheme, we
1: need to trot it out again. That's right. That's why I, we need to catalog things like Russiagate and this, right? And everything that's been said about these things and white supremacy and and the rape pandemic, the rape pandemic, the rape hysteria, all that over the last five years, we have been more than ever in our history, I believe, uh, a hysterical nation in the last five to six years. It's just been one, National mass hysteria after another, and this is the latest. At least this one has some basis in reality. There's something. There's something going on here. There really, I guess, there is a virus that's been killing people, but the reaction to it is if it's been the Black Plague times ten, and uh, it is clearly disproportionate, and it is clearly inappropriate, especially now that we have enough numbers to show that what we are doing is plenty adequate, that we are more than ready to reopen. And so all I can say is, you know, for people who want to, the, the lockdown to continue, is that these are the people who value security over freedom. You know, and there, that's it. That's one of the main dividers between people. There are people, as you know, who value, primarily value security, safety. Uh, you could You could say a static life. Right? Um, They don't want time to move. (laughs) They don't want change necessarily. And those of us who value dynamism and change and liberty and all, and all, and individualism and all that, and individual creativity. And that's, that's the divide. That's the divide. I've actually known, I mean, I'm living in Oakland, California, which is chock full of lefties. And I've actually known quite a few lefty liberal Bernie Sanders types here who are not, who have been kind of poo pooing the lockdown actually uh, from the beginning because they're creative types. And they, they tend to, you know, not be so fond of authority. And even if it's, even if it's Gavin Newsom or Nancy Pelosi, and they want to do their own thing and make their own art and, you know, build their structures for the next Burning Man, et cetera, you know, so they're not, they're not so thrilled about this either. There's, you know, there, there are people on the left who actually do crave freedom and do value freedom. There's a few of them and we, and we need to keep reaching out to them and, and supporting them and cultivating them. I want to
0: say one more thing before we wrap up, and that has to do with my impressions of people on the left over the years. And I think I, I'm more charitable toward them than they are toward me, which isn't saying much. They're, they're not – a lot of these folks have not been very nice to <laughs> no. the old man here. But I try to look at people in the best light I can, and I think it is genuine that a lot of people on the left have empathy for people, particularly vulnerable people. I don't think that's a put on. Now, there are plenty of them who think they've done their duty by liking a status on Facebook. I get that. Mm -hmm. But my friend, Bob Murphy, whom I'm sure you know, spent some time in Haiti years Mm -hmm. ago after a terrible earthquake there. He just decided he felt called to do it. He was gonna go down there for a while and physically, literally help them rebuild, like with his own bare hands, help them rebuild. Mm -hmm. And he stayed... I don't know, almost like in a barracks uh, with some other Americans who were down there doing the same thing. And almost all of them were left progressives. But they were not talking politics. They, that wasn't, they were just there to help. That was why they were there. And I know there were people like that. And, and I, I get that. And that's what I can respect about these folks. And that's what's been so conspicuously absent here is empathy. To ridicule people mm. and say that all they care about is a haircut or they're too stupid and backward not to understand that they should just stay home. Why can't they at least say, listen, I get that the sacrifices being asked of you are quite severe, and and that a couple of months with no customers in your business, or a couple of months not being able to do X, Y, and Z, or not being able to get a surgery that you thought you were going to get, or preventative uh, cancer therapy and stuff like that. What we're asking of you is, very, very significant. And it's going to involve a tremendous sacrifice. And we're everybody in society who's vulnerable appreciates that you're making that sacrifice. Why the hell is that so hard to say? Why can't they just say that?
1: Because people in the media, people who talk about these things, they're not like normal people. They they tend to think of, especially people on the left, they think of capitalism. I'm not kidding. And I mean, very smart people. Eric Foner, someone you and I both know, once said this, capitalism to them is about shopping that's all they see is the consumerism of, of capitalism. They don't see anything else. And that is exactly why they disdain it. They think shop, shopping, consumerism is debauched, degraded, uh, shallow, and people should be doing better things with their lives. And so when they see a bunch of retail stores, which is, which is the most visible part of the quarantine, right? the most visible thing is retail stores that sell all these you know, useless items, according to the left, shut down. That's, that's, I think that actually turns them on. I think they really like that. there There is a fundamental Puritanism, right at work in much of left wing thought. And I think that's being, you know, we're in a now in a much more puritanical society by force. Um, it's an ascetic puritanical society. We can't go out and buy all the things we used to buy. We have to now order it, but still, it's it's less we're less able to do those things. And, you know, public events are shut down, so we can't go to the shows and the sporting events that they also dislike so much. I think it's very cultural. It's very much about sensibilities. The left has a puritanical, ascetic, anti-consumerist uh, sensibility that that's really turning. You know, they're really turned on by this.
0: Because okay. Now, yeah, that part of it. Yeah, I had thought of it more as a power thing because they hate capitalism and and they they love to stick it to the rich and whatever. But but that really does get to it. The puritanism is is yeah. very much alive. But at the same time, there are. If I were to think of. People who are involved in a lot of the most creative things, like let's say Broadway actors or uh, rock musicians or whatever you could think of, uh, singers, magicians, uh, all the sorts of people who put dancers, put on live shows for the public, virtually all of them are left liberals, all of them. Mm -hmm. And yet apparently they've all decided that indefinitely or until there's a cure – what? Like, since when have we ever said well, we have to just stop and wait for a cure, then we can resume or a vaccine or something? We're just not going to do those things anymore. I, I can't understand that. I mean, those are well, – if if it was all country music, that would be one thing. I could see why they would want to shut that down.
1: Well, again, who are we? Which musicians are you talking about? I mean, I bet you're talking about the very successful ones. I think the wealthier people are 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 talking like this way about the lockdown. I'd love to know what sort of ordinary, like my friends I was mentioning in Oakland, you know, who are artists, you know, who they're not so interested in the lockdown. They're very, they don't wear masks in public. They think it's a bunch of nonsense. Um, I'm, I'd love to hear what sort of you know typical struggling artists and musicians think about this. I will bet you it's very different than what the Hollywood elitist saying
0: about it. Yeah, yeah, think? yeah. See, so here's the, yeah. this is this is what this really interests me because
1: yeah.
0: in let's say not mainstream metal like Iron Maiden that can sell out a 25,000 mm-hmm. seat arena, mm-hmm. but more niche yeah. uh, subdivisions of metal where they're playing to sure. a bar with a 300 capacity. Mm -hmm. now those people they're really suffering yeah Uh, now a lot of those bands they have a a, a second job because they can't even make a living doing their music they they do it because they love doing it and now they're being told the thing that you're working that crap job to support yourself in can no longer be done well i haven't heard a peep out of any of them and i think partly Mm -hmm. it's because they're afraid if they're the first one to poke up their noses and say well wait a minute i mean you really don't think we could just have a small gathering of people to hear my music i mean like i mean look i'm the singer i can't even wear a mask right, right. <laughs> i would be the one at the most risk by definition and mm-hmm. i'm willing to do it like yeah. why can't we – if I fans are willing to do – and the other thing, and I've repeated this before, but doggone it, metal fans deserve this. They have this coming to them <laughs> because the the last event to be canceled in Florida where – I mean everything had been canceled, but the one thing they were holding out for was the Central Florida Metal Fest. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the Facebook page for that, it is filled with people saying, we're metal people. We don't care about any virus. We're coming out to hear these bands. Mm-hmm. And, all right. Wow. And I was with them. I was writ- – just about ready to go. I wasn't quite sure, but I was ready. Mm. Um, at that time I thought the virus was much worse than it is mm. than it turned out to be. So and, I mean we now know it's not nearly as as, as deadly as we thought. So mm-hmm. at a time when it was we it was thought to be much deadlier than it really was, these people were ready to go out. yeah But today, the very same people now knowing that it's not as deadly as we thought, are saying, yeah, good on these small venues for staying closed. What is happening here? Oh, what man. what happened to you being metal people, and we don't care about it? But the safer it is, the sca- more scared we are. You know, and these are the people with the tattoos and the muscles yeah. and, the, and the and the leather jackets and and what? They're the ones who are going to be cowering in their homes, the ones who have the least chance of having a problem.
1: When metalheads are submissive, we're done.
0: We're done. Exactly. When is a metalhead going to say, look, what, being a metalhead is not just the music. It's a lifestyle.
1: Oh, God. Of course, we lost the punk rockers a long time ago to political correctness. But with the metalheads, if the country – now, here's a question. I mean I think it's going to be country singers. It's going to be like middling and lower level country performers who are going to do this. They're going to do the resistance. They're going to have, They're going to have shows that are violating the code, and then there's going to be confrontations. There's going to be some – news event where some mid-level country singer gives his show and he's supposed not supposed to and the cops show up and you know hopefully there's a little uh a little pushback against the cops and then we realize that this is all ridiculous i don't know but i mean i think <laughs> you know that in music you know that industry is as you we've been talking about is dominated at the top by left liberals you know democrats capital d democrats and so i yeah sure if you're a if you're a groovy little hipster band out of portland um dying right now because you have no gigs scheduled for the next 3 or 4 or 6 months it's going to be hard for you to complain about this because you're going to be called a a trump supporter if you say anything
0: and and the by the event. way that goes to show the 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 people having the protests are are doing everybody a disservice by turning them into trump rallies and waving yes. trump flags
1: Stop doing that. Thank you, and and please leave the Confederate damn flags home. What I'll, the so- hell? I
0: mean, wh- <laughs> why would you make this as difficult as possible for other people to join you on? I mean this is where you want to be as ecumenical and open as you, you possibly can. Now, if if what you're saying actually comes to pass, and it sounds plausible – that you get a little country show, and mm. and they're the ones who kind of dip their toe in the water first. You can kind of shame the others and say, look, if this country band can go out and play, right. you're too much of a wimp to go out and play. So in a way, it's in reverse of what Michael Bolden from the Tenth Amendment Center used to do. He used to do the opposite. He would shame the right-wingers mm. at, at these Tenth uh, Amendment conferences by saying – you know, wouldn't it be great if people felt this way about guns, that there's some regulation about them, and they just go about their lives ignoring the regulation. They just continue on whatever. And he says, well, yeah, we already have people acting just like that, except not for guns but for weed. Like look in L.A. Everybody's just ignoring mm-hmm. what the federal government is telling them to do, and it's not you tough guy gun people who are you know the first to say back the blue and we love the police. It's the hippies you think are are pathetic wimps. They're the ones standing up to the authorities. And he was kind of trying to shame them a little bit. So I think selectively and creatively and cleverly applied shame can <laughs> perhaps help us <laughs> at some point here.
1: Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of shame generally. Not
0: in general. No, yeah. and I'm not in general, but here it may be the only arrow in our quiver. <laughs>
1: Make, making fun for sure. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, a little anger too. Why not a little anger? You know, let's, let's. I mean, especially now, it's just becoming so clear. Come on. I mean, in, in a place like California, where I am, I mean, it's, you know, when it's 0.005%, 5% of the population has died. And, you know, half those people were going to, were dying already anyway. I mean, you know, and this is how large of an economy, you know, if California was a nation state, what would it be like eighth largest in the world or something like that? This is, this is like apocalyptic we're talking about here. I mean, this is, this is just disgusting what's going on with people's lives and, the, and and just the society generally, it's not so much passive resistance that's going to go on. It's just going to be sort of people gradually forgetting about it and ignoring it. You know, just the way that you see people not really wearing their face masks the way they're supposed to all the time, right? I mean, you see you see this all the time, right? You see people like taking off their face mask when they're close to someone or forgetting to wear it, forgetting to put it on. I mean, this is constant, and that's going to become more and more common Um, that's what most Americans are. They're not thinking about politics. They're not thinking about anything. They're just trying to go to Costco and go shopping and they forgot their mask. And that's going to happen more and more often. And Costco is going to start giving up on it. And then the local government, the local governments have already given up on it. They don't really enforce this except in very rare uh, instances. Right. So that's, that's why, you know, I think within a, within a month or two, actually, I think it's going to, I think we'll be back to normal pretty much. Now, the question is, you know, how many of those businesses will be able to come back after paying rent for three months with no income? I don't know. But, uh, you know, we'll see. I But I do, I, I'm quite convinced that Americans just by like through inertia or something will, uh, uh, and boredom and laziness will, will just stop abiding by this. That's what's going to happen.
0: Before we go, tell me about I know about it but tell the folks about renegade university
1: yeah sure uh so we've uh we had a big new relaunch in november with a new website and a new platform and been adding new members all the time and as i mentioned we have this great new program are you live which is every tuesday and thursday night we have special guests on it's for RU you members only you get to talk to all kinds of people from who've been on the podcast or just public intellectuals academics journalists various people it's been fascinating and we have a bunch of new courses coming out. We have a slate of five new courses that'll be uh, introduced over the summer. We already have about ten that are online. You can you can buy everything from history of the United States and the world. I teach history, foreign policy to uh, the politics of sex work. We have a couple of Scott Horton courses on there. We have a course courses on philosophy, Nietzsche, postmodernism. And to be a member, to be to participate in RU Live, you can just become a member at any level and go to renegadeuniversity.com. Unfortunately, of course, our live events have been canceled for the moment, and we can't wait to do those. We have done five of those in the past. They've been a blast. A lot of people have come from all over the world. But as soon as they free us, we will have those as well. So go to renegadeuniversity.com and become a member and join us. We're having a great time.
0: Excellent. All right, I'll link to Renegade University at tomwoods.com slash 1655. And uh, thanks, Thad. I actually felt like I got a lot off my chest here. And, and I appreciate hearing your thoughts because they kind of filled in some gaps in my thinking, trying to understand why people think the way they do. And I think I've got it a little bit more clearly now. So thanks again.
1: Just, just to circle back really quickly, like to, to finish my point about randolph Bourne. randolph Bourne, oh, said, yeah. randolph Bourne said, war is the health of the state. I know a lot of your listeners know that famous line. Well, turns out pandemic is the health of the state too. That's the problem.
0: Yeah, is it ever? Yeah. Is it ever? All right, thanks again, Thad. Thanks, Tom. All right, folks, if you enjoy and appreciate what I'm doing and you would like to have some safe haven where people aren't accusing you of wanting to murder people's grandmothers, I urge you to join my supporting listeners group because that gets you membership in the Tom Woods Show elite along with many other benefits. When you see all the benefits – I've added a whole bunch more, by the way. It's ridiculous the things you get when you support the Tom Woods Show. I mean it It's shocking. So (laughs) see if you think I'm telling the truth here by going over to supportinglisteners.com and warm my heart by supporting it at one of those levels, and I'll see you all tomorrow. Become a smarter libertarian in just 30 minutes a day. Visit tomwoods.com to subscribe to the show for free, and we'll see you next time. Like the sound of The Tom Woods Show? My audio production is provided by Podsworth Media. Check them out at podsworth.com.